It's time for the Little Agency That Roars podcast, a podcast that connects you with talented and brilliant people. And that's all of us. We are available wherever you stream your podcast, so go ahead and find us and subscribe. I'm your host, Michael Fasoni, and let's get started. Sorry about that. Okay, I'm sitting here with Dave Odegaard, an account executive from Lamar Outdoor. Dave, how are you? Doing fine, thank you, Michael. Awesome, awesome. So Dave, I kind of don't know where to start because you have a very extensive background in our industry, our industry advertising here in Kansas City. Um, and you work at Lamar currently. That's correct. But Lamar used to be, and I want you to tell the story. Lamar used to be my competitor. Uh, Lamar is one of the larger outdoor advertising companies in the world. Uh, they, supposedly they have more outdoor advertising structures throughout the, throughout the world than any other outdoor advertising company. Um, but one day they came and made me an offer I couldn't refuse, so but that, that's, do you need me to go through the whole, where, how I got to that point? Is that perhaps? Well, you used to own Odegaard Outdoor, You're correct? Right. right. And Lamar obviously purchased your company. That's correct. So let me just, yeah, let me just cut to it. How do you start an outdoor company? How did you start Odegaard? Well, uh, I worked for an outdoor advertising company out of Minneapolis for about 20 years called Nagley Outdoor Advertising. And during the 20 years I was with them, uh, they transferred me around to many cities and had experiences in markets as large as Detroit and as small as Madison, Wisconsin. I worked in four or five different cities. And after about 20 years, uh, I thought maybe it was time to kind of get out on my own and started a small uh, outdoor advertising company in Minneapolis. And my idea was to start expanding and buy other markets. And I, I found that I made an offer to the gentleman who owned a company called City Sign Service here in Kansas City. Um, and he was open to negotiating. So I, I bought the company in Kansas City along with a partner and sold the Minneapolis stuff and settled to go, that was about 1982. And we ran it for about 20 years. We expanded into several markets. We had offices in, in addition to Kansas City, we were in Phoenix, El Paso, uh, Gary, Indiana, and South Bend, Indiana. Uh, and we were growing. We, we were looking at some more uh, places to buy. And after 20, at the end of 20 years, I was kind of looking for a way to maybe to become a little less active. And Lamar approached us, and that's the end of that story. We, I, uh, they bought me out, and they asked me to be the general manager of their branch here in Kansas City. And we, I did that for a couple of years, and then decided maybe it's time for me to hang it up and retire. So I left. Lamar, and spent a year or so just kind of hanging out, and I got bored. <laughs> and 
So I talked to Lamar and I said, you know, you want some ex uh, billboard purveyor to come back and take a few accounts? They said, sure, come on back. So that's the story. That's how I got back to Lamar. And so it's been, so it was 20 years with Nagley, 20 years of my own, and I'm, maybe it's about 20 years now with, with uh, Lamar. So over 60 years in the outdoor advertising business. Come on, man. That's, wow. That's, yeah. So when you purchased when you purchased the company um, and it became Odegaard, were you able to grow the footprint, the number of boards? Yeah, we significantly uh, increased the number of locations. Yeah. We specialized in two forms of two forms of outdoor. You know, there's different size, different standardized sizes. We had bulletins, the large bulletins along the interstates, and then we specialized in the small, what's called junior posters or HE posters, uh, kind of eye level, inner city, uh, Westport kind of street, surface street kind of mm -hmm. things. And we were close to a thousand faces here in Kansas City, sign faces, and maybe another thousand among the other markets, the El Paso, Phoenix, and um, Indiana markets. So in 1982, you purchased that, and uh, um, I know that uh, laws have changed over the years in terms of new, you know, large 14 by 48 billboards that can be uh, constructed, correct? Well, laws have changed. Uh, regulation has always been part of the outdoor advertising industry. That, right. The history of that is kind of interesting, if, if that would be interesting. Well, that's, and that's exactly where I was going, because in 1982, I, I had a feeling that it was almost the Wild West. If they had the real estate and someone wanted to buy it and put a board on it, they were willing to sell it. Mm -hmm. It seemed like that, at least you know. Yeah. It, in the, it, it, long about 1964, 1965, uh, it was during the Lyndon Johnson administration and with Hubert Humphrey uh, was vice president. And we have been trying to self, and I say we now, being a, a small person in a large industry, uh, we're trying to develop regulations that would promote, let's say, uh, limit to where outdoor advertising structures could be placed. There are certain places where they're just not appropriate. In right. scenic areas, right. strictly residential areas, national parks. Uh, but it's hard to regulate an industry when you've got, you know, mom and pops and big people and somebody on the West Coast, East Coast, etc. So the leaders of the industry got together and supported uh, Lady Bird Johnson with, with the Highway Beautification Act. We supported that. What that legislation said, that outdoor advertising only should be allowed in commercial or industrial zones. And even in those zones, it should be spaced out so you don't have billboard jungles. Uh, it protects not only the environment, but it protects the advertiser the using those signs so he doesn't have to compete with himself every 50 feet mm -hmm. down the road. Mm -hmm. um, so 
the, the, the Highway Beautification Act, excuse me, the, the Highway Beautification Act was passed, and then it went. It turned to the states and said, "You can now make rules even stricter than the federal regulations, but it has to at least follow those basic tenets of only in commercial or industrial zones. You know those rules and spacing out space mm -hmm. between signs. And we've." I think the standardized industries all supported those regulations. Uh, you know, you always got somebody uh, out, you know, a farmer wants to gain a little extra money, so he'll contact a, a, a billboard company and say, can't you put one up on my land? And if the zoning is not right, you can't do it. But there's a lot of signs that are grandfathered in before that took right. place. Right. But over time, over time, you know, uh, things like you know, uh, attrition happens, and you uh, signs fall down, and or whatever. But I mean, it's it still is an ongoing battle to maintain well-maintained outdoor-advertising displays in proper areas. Can you talk more, Dave, about the regulation? Because um, in 1982. There, the media was different. It was a, a static piece. Now you can have movement, lights, you know, embellishments, yeah. all types of things. Um, so have the had regulations had to adapt with the technology? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, the, the, the big change is to the digital signage, which has become mm -hmm. a big amazing uh, big factor in the in our industry now and we uh, in fact personally sponsored some research along with a couple other small outdoor advertising companies um, on the effect of digital signs on the motorist is it is it dangerous? You know, basically, what we were wanting to know is that people are going to be looking at a sign and they're going to have an accident. Um, and we went to Virginia Tech University, who does a lot of work on traffic-related issues, and we funded research to determine uh, if digital signs or any signs, in some cases, are a distraction. And we found out that there weren't. I mean, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The interesting. You use a, a, a technique by a company called Perception Research Services that has a, a camera that focuses on the pupil of the eye, and you, they put people in a simulated driving machine. You're not told that you're being looked at outdoor advertising. You're just being told just drive down the street, <laughs> and. And we're going to look at what you look at when you go down the street. And you can follow, we, we saw the films, you know, and you'd see what, how persons, he goes to look at a, a sign and he looks at oncoming traffic and then a pedestrian. And uh, really there is no, uh, there isn't, is no uh, distraction that would cause accidents. Well, those folks, what was the result of that, positive uh, research uh, 
there were some critics that said, wait a minute now, you funded that. The outdoor advertising <laughs> industry funded that research. It was biased. <laughs> yeah. So the Federal Highway Administration decided that they would do their own study uh-huh. to, to either validate or invalidate our study. Sure. And they came out with the same results. <laughs> so uh, there is at least in the research that we have and have seen, uh, there is outdoor advertising does not affect accidents. Um, I would say it's highly less intrusive than an iPhone on the highway. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so many other things today. You know, there was an interesting... This is, goes way back into the 60s. Uh, when the state of Michigan did a study, um, they tracked the accidents on two different roads, one with outdoor advertising displays on it and one with no outdoor advertising displays. And this was out in a rural area of Michigan. Just to see what the, the effect was. There were fewer accidents on the roadway with outdoor advertising displays than there were on the street with or the road, and these are rural highways, with no outdoor advertising displays. Did I say that right? There are fewer accidents <laughs> on the road with no outdoor advertising displays than there were with outdoor advertising displays. Now, you know, some people said, well, that's because the outdoor advertising signs kept people alert, but I don't, I'm not so sure I can follow that, because it's kind of anecdotally, since it was only two roads, and it was a relatively... Another study in Michigan, uh, this was the city of Grand Rapids. They built a big freeway right through the middle of Grand Rapids, and they thought that they were going to be, that outdoor advertising along that freeway was going to cause accidents. So after there the freeway was open for, for excuse me for a couple of years, uh, maybe for several years, the city went back and tracked where accidents were. Were they by billboards? No, they were by exit and entrance ramps. There was no relationship between accidents and outdoor advertising displays. And maybe it's logical that it would, the entrance ramps and exit ramps might be a little more dangerous. But anyway, that's. I could go on about that subject, but I, it's an important one to me because we've got a responsibility to the communities in which we uh, we serve, uh, and we've got to be good stewards because, as you know, being in the advertising business, you know, we you got to be respectful for the consumer or the the consumer of messages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you, by all means, if you have other stories, I'd love to hear more anecdotes or more studies or if you have any top of mind. If not, I know what I want to ask. (laughs) Um, I'm all for I love how advanced the digital boards are getting. I mean, they look, they're so lucid. Um, I'm waiting for the day when we could have movement. Yeah. I th- how are we twenty years away from movement on no, outdoor boards? Uh, you know, I know it's not allowed right now. Is it? It's legislated well, out, or it's well because it's considered a driving hazard or something. Right uh, on federal highways, you cannot. So I think it's federal legislation, but, okay. but states and locals have followed that. On interstate on, on highways that are federally funded, you cannot have animation, right. basically. 
But you can on streets that don't have. Sure, uh, like Times Square. Times Square. Michigan. Uh, 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 one downtown, uh, Power and Light District, some of those. Right, right, right. There's a place so, in uh, Wichita even. I was in yeah. Wichita last year uh, visiting a client, and it's a Planet Fitness, or excuse me, it's a fitness facility of some type, and they had a, anyway. Yeah. But is that, do you see that as kind of the, like, not near future, but extreme future? I, I'd be a little concerned about, I mean, um, in the proper areas where there's a lot of pedestrian traffic, like you mentioned Times Square, et cetera, uh, I know Sunset Boulevard or someplace like that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I'd hate to get a person so, a, a motorist or a passenger in a vehicle, so attuned to the story that's being told with the animation that it becomes yeah. more focused on that than on the, the lane of traffic. So. Makes sense. Makes sense. So we've talked a lot about logistics. Let's talk about um, general changes and maybe specifically creatively changes you've seen over your entire span in the industry. Yeah, it's a. I must tell you that it's a frustrating thing for me. Um, You know better than most that there's a lot of average advertising out there. There's great ads and there's maybe ads that aren't so great. And a lot of stuff is in the middle and, and I'm sure you look at it sometimes being created by how did they create that? I mean, well, with outdoor, a bad ad is a really bad ad because it's up there tomorrow. You drive, it's a bad ad, and you drive by it again tomorrow. It's a bad ad. We're a thirty-second spot or something. It's over with. You know my, what I mean? My father used to say it's one of the hardest working mediums in the industry because it works twenty-four hours a day, seven yeah. days a week. Yeah, and if it, it, it was bad when it went up, and you know it's still bad thirty <laughs> days later. Right. Uh, and and. Today, you know, there was a time when outdoor advertising was only on city streets because there weren't freeways but prior to 1965, you know, or about that time. And when you're going 30 miles an hour on a street with stoplights, et cetera, you know, that's, and your billboards are very close to the line of traffic, you can maybe you can communicate a message. But when traffic's going 55, and the setbacks are greater on the interstates. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got to be powerful. You mm -hmm. have to be like, if I've never been in the theater business, but you've got to play to the guy in the back row. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to you got to shout, and you have to use contrasting colors, and you've got to be brief, and you got to be to the point. I, I always remember I used to call on Campbell Ewald, which is a big agency in Detroit back in the days. They had a lot of General Motors accounts, Chevrolet, et cetera. And they told me one time that when they're creating a campaign for Chevrolet they were speaking about specifically, they always start with the billboard. That's what they start, even if billboards aren't going to be part of their general campaign, because it forces them to focus on what is the point, you know? Think as small as they can creatively. And then build the TV and their other media mm -hmm. uh, applications from that. That's lost, really smart. Yeah. Um, 
but anyway, I, I become frustrated when I see a, an ad from a New York agency that I'm trying, and I drive down the street and I'm trying to, what are they trying to say there? That's too, <laughs> it's a light blue against a white background. <laughs> letters are too thin. I mean, I, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, want, I want my medium to work, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So uh, I get a little frustrated with that. But luckily with the Sony, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can cut that out if you want. <laughs> 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 volume go up on that. Well, thank you, Dave. So thank you. Well, you, you get it. You, you know, some people get it and some people don't. It, you know? it, it's, it's like you said, you have to get right to the point. Uh -huh. There are no extra words. Right. There is no punk. I mean, there is, you know, no gratuitous anything. Yeah. Um, you know, if uh, um, not to localize it and make it about you and me, let's just go national. McDonald's is pretty damn good yeah. at outdoor. Yeah. You know, um, they're also easily recognizable. And that yeah. doesn't hurt. But, you know, again, it's one, it's three words. It's a giant image along with their brand, you know, their branded logo. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's like you said, maximize the medium. Right. Um, otherwise it makes the product actually look bad in some scenarios. And like you said, as an industry, it looks like the industry is being underserved. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's very difficult, if not, not impossible to be subtle in outdoor. You can't, you gotta be, you gotta hit somebody in the mouth kind of just, and, and with, well said. With nuance, yeah, well, you have to yeah. be that powerful. I mean, yeah, with nuance. That's the difficulty. Exa that, exactly, that, that, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because it's yeah, you're right. You know, you give me a lot of ammunition of sixty seconds, or thirty seconds, or even fifteen seconds nowadays. Um, you know, or five second pre roll. Um, I can. You have a, like you said, you know, a nice big punch, yeah. but um, that outdoor really has to. Yeah, got to get there quick. Because if, if they're starting to figure it out, they're by you, man. You know, mm -hmm. 10 seconds, you're mm -hmm. in the future. And, and I'm sure working in multiple markets has really helped you because uh, you and I both know that different markets advertise differently. And that can be um, just because of the media that's allowed to them. You know, certain areas don't have cable because of mountain ridges or, you know, whatever. They rely on dish services, um, and they have different cable providers, Internet providers, and so on and so on. Um, but they also have different creative flavors and styles. Um, I mean, is there, have you, has that been a, a big learning experience? I mean, to be able to be in other outdoor markets and see the creative. and Oh, sure. Uh you know, like in, in New York City, I mean, transit advertising is a big deal. The subways and all that can go because people aren't, millions of people are driving, mm -hmm. but millions are under the ground too. So I mean, you have to, you have to deal with different out-of-home media forms with this transit advertising subways. And That's that true. Kind of thing. Um, and there are some. You know, we used to do what's called origin destination studies. I don't know if that term is familiar to you or not. Haven't done them for a while. Um, but there's a there's a point here. If you let me get to it, um, 
we would go to a shopping center parking lot and take down 50 license plate numbers. And then somehow we would get where those license plate numbers were registered to, mm-hmm. and then we'd dot them all on a map to see where people were coming from. I mean, how, and, and it, it demonstrated to us that people are extremely mobile, even maybe more mm-hmm. now than they were back when we were doing those studies. Uh, so you don't have to have a billboard right by a store to mm-hmm. re- reach, reach somebody. Um, but we, we, we do the exact same thing on the agency side. So we'll take a client's sales because they have them by zip. And sometimes they can get even more granular. And then we plot those on a map, just like a heat map. And then that's how we actually plan our outdoor. Ah, uh, fascinating. Yes. Huh. So... Um, I'm not going to say anything else. Yeah, I got, um, <laughs> because I, I could go into a little bit more detail, but no, no, no. there are secrets in the sauce. Yes, yes. and not everyone does it the right way. Yeah, yeah. I'll leave it there. Yeah. But you, yes, we're we're seeing some interesting research now on. on um, it, 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 let me just say, sure. Responsible media goes across all medias. And treating outdoor in that manner is using it to its max effectiveness for your customer. Mm-hmm. Forget about selling space for your customer when you get down to that heat map level and really plotting that board strategically where it's best. Anyway, I'll step down now. Okay, good. This is your time. Yeah. Um, well, the only thing I'll, I'll wrap it up with saying that one of the I've become a true believer in, in, in my medium mm-hmm. because I've seen it work. You know, in, in working, having the opportunity to work in very small markets and a large market. Let's say, in in Madison, Wisconsin, I've called on a guy, a little Italian Italian food specialty shop, and he was kind of struggling, you know, and bought some outdoor, and all of a sudden his business increased. You know, and he tr- credited. Credited to the outdoor, so I so I knew it was getting through to somebody. When I I, I, I managed an outdoor advertising company in Louisville, and I met Colonel Sanders, the really? Colonel Sanders. <laughs> he was a nasty old guy, <laughs> and he said, you know, the freeway. He had a little place that sold ch- uh, fried chicken, restaurant out in some small town in, in, in Kentucky. And they built a freeway that went around the town. Business went right, you know, because people weren't driving by him. He bought one billboard out on the freeway, turned his business around so, so strongly <laughs> that he could go out on the road and sell his herbs and spices. Really? He told me the story himself. Seriously? Yeah. He'd come by the office every once in a while. You know, this big old suit and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's all right. Then the, uh, I also, when, when I worked in Detroit, I was fortunate enough to have the Ford Motor account, was one of my accounts, you know, selling them locally in Detroit. Yeah. It's some national stuff for them, too. And outdoor advertising was one of the key ingredients in the introduction of the Mustang in 1965, 66, when it was... And it became the most successful introduction of a new automobile 
ever in the history of, it, of introducing new models of automobiles. And they, the agency, J. Walter Thompson, credited Outdoor as being, you know, that, that we showed that, that interesting shaped Mustang, which was kind of unique, in four, 48 feet long and 14 mm -hmm. feet high. Uh, so I've seen it work for big customers and small customers, yeah. so I get, you know. That's cool. And, it's powerful. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, where do you see yourself going next with Lamar? <laughs> you love the business. Well, evidently. You can't leave it. Yeah, evidently. I don't know what else I'd do, you know. Uh, where do I see myself? Well, you know, I'm uh, probably, you know, they'll probably kick me out of there before <laughs> I, you know, decide to leave. But you know, I, I, I've decided that I will do it as long as I'm enjoying it and I can provide a service to, our, to clients and prospective clients. Do you do a lot of mentoring? Uh, when we hire, when, when they hire a new salesman, they ask them, they ask me to spend a day or two with them. And that's about it. It is when we go out and make sales calls. And, and you know, that's, that's so different because people not when I, uh, when I got in the business, you go talk to people, you go and sit down mm -hmm. and Hey, you call on the guy that owns the Chrysler Plymouth dealer and you go in and sit down and, and he you, know, you build a relationship, but that's harder these days because of email and just the personal disconnect yeah interpersonal yeah. disconnect yeah and it's also difficult a person in person uh, my age uh, because the media buying community the buyers of media are, are sometimes well not just about always much younger than me so it's it's harder for a a guy my age to build a relationship with a media director who's 27. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's I like the old days where we could go out and have a beer together. Um, but that's maybe a personal issue rather than a. No, no, no. It's 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 it's. Um, there's several factors there. Yeah. We're. Uh, I, I consider Kansas City, and I I've never lived in other cities. Uh, really rich for advertising. And I think that we have a really good ad community. Um, seems we have a good saturation of lots of different medias. Are there certain markets that are more robust with outdoor, where it's more popular, where there's more boards, where outdoor has a bigger footprint? Is it just bigger cities? I, well, that's a pretty good question. Uh, since I've worked in a bunch of cities, I could... There, there's some unique cities. You know, uh, Los Angeles is a unique city as far as outdoor advertising is concerned. People sometimes, tourists, go there to drive down Sunset Strip and see the these wild billboards. You know, uh -huh. they're kind of vanity billboards. You know, a, a star wants to see their faces. They drive down, mm -hmm. uh, and then New York City is unique. Other than that. Uh, Uh, it's a pretty even f footprint across the country, I think. You know? um. So what are the, um, let's say I wanted to erect a, uh, a structure on top of my building. Where they, is there, I'm sure there's a zoning that would say, 
I couldn't play something that large or put my own signage up. Um, or if you're talking specifically the Kansas City, Missouri ordinance, sign ordinance, mm -hmm. you cannot attach an outdoor advertising display to a building. It has to be freestanding, and it can only be in plant. It can only be in commercial or industrial zones. But the, but the reality is, uh, there's very few zones that are. There's very few areas that are zoned strictly for commercial or industrial. They always have a P on them. So it's a planned commercial district now, which means you've got to go before the planning commission. And, uh, and they uh, normally uh, do not allow outdoor advertising displays in planned commercial zones. It has to be a strictly commercial zone. And there aren't too many of those areas left anymore. Over the years, now the ones that are, there's a lot of billboards in planned zones, but it's because they're grandfathered in. Mm -hmm. Very difficult for somebody new to get into the business today. I would, I would think so. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, they're reworking our highway system here in Kansas City where the Broadway Bridge crosses the Missouri River, and it'll be interesting to see how they rework or if they rework those boards that kind of got lost are, are going to get lost right. that had, you know, side of you before that are now losing it? Are they going to shift those? I, don't, I have so many. Yeah, we, I'm very we, curious to see what they do there. Well, if we uh, lost several structures on the Buck O'Neill Bridge there. Um, but, you know, that's a taking, so you're compensated for that. Uh, okay. So, uh, city funds, state funds, federal funds, if they if they... Well, just as, as they decide to build a, a road through your building here, somebody's going to have to pay you for that. I mean, you're not going to let them do that. So That makes sense. I literally never thought of it like that, and I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. If, as long as you have a legal sign and, it's, and have a permit for that sign, you are subject to being comp you, you have to be compensated. That makes me feel better. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's in interesting. Um, you know, they keep talking about widening I-70 between here and St. Louis. I don't know if you hear that, but that, the highway department would love to do that because the traffic on I-70 between St. Louis is, is, is difficult, which would mean they'd have to take a lot of billboards because when if you widen it for another lane on either side, a lot of those mm -hmm. are billboards. Well, some people would say there's too many between here and St. Louis in the first place, and I, and I think there are some areas where it's overpopulated with outdoor advertising displays. But you have to compensate, so it would, be, it would increase the cost of building that freeway or remodeling that freeway. It would cost millions and millions and millions of additional uh, Dollars if they had to take all those signs. So they, along with the approval of the Federal Highway Commission and the Missouri Highway Department, they, they, they made an agreement that we would allow you just to move back a little bit, even though the, the zoning may not be correct. So they wouldn't have to pay me. They wouldn't pay, have to pay a sign company. <laughs> okay. So uh, the highway department felt that's a pretty good deal. Just, they're, not, it, they're not adding additional signs. They're just allowing them mm -hmm. to move so they don't have to pay for the, 
Would they subsidize the relocation? Uh, no, that's part of that's part of the deal. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, sign company have to pay for it, but you could move it. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what do you wish people knew about Lamar or outdoor? Other, I, I think you've already said it, but well, it is an interesting story. I, I, I told you. Do you know the story about how Lamar started? I don't. Well, in, in, in the late 1800s, in Pensacola, Florida, there were two families, the Lamar family and another family, and I can never remember their name. And they owned an opera house. This was 1890, 1895. And to promote the shows that would come through the town, you know, the magicians and the singers or dancers or whatever would come to the opera house, they went out and started slapping signs on, this, on barns and on trees to promote the show. Had a pretty good business, pretty good business. And they started putting, businesses would come to them and say, well, can you put one of those up for me too, the restaurant or something like that? So they put up a few more signs. And finally, around 1900, the two families grew, so there became more and more people involved. And they were friendly, friendly uh, families. I mean, they were friends. Uh, they decided that they would split up this business. One family would take the sign thing, which was starting to grow a little bit, and so the other family would take this very successful opera house. And, but we're, we're, fr we're friends, how do we negotiate this? And they said, um, let's flip a coin. So they flipped a coin, the winner won the opera house, and the Lamar family, the loser, got the billboard deal. Today is their 75th anniversary <laughs> of the billboard thing, and the opera house burned down within two or three years. No! Is that a great story? <laughs> and some of the Lamar family are still involved in the business. It's a public company now, but there's Lamar's uh, family still r running the business, uh, involved in the business, the board of directors and that kind of thing, since 1902. So... The side of the Lamars that keeps the sign business, they obviously evolve that into more than just opera signage. And oh yeah, I mean, uh, as I say, they're the biggest in the world today. So, in terms of number of signs, are they really? Yeah. Um, what was the? Uh, what's I think you may have said it. What state was that in, or where was this? Well, they, they were founded in Pensacola, Florida. Today, okay, you said that. I'm sorry. their headquarters, corporate headquarters, are in Baton Rouge uh, now. Okay. And they were still, and you said they're still family-owned. Well, it's a public company now, but some of the Lamar family and in-laws and things are still involved with the management of the company and, and are heavily invested. Are they in every state? Most states? Oh, in most states, yeah. I mean, there's a few that maybe they don't have a very big footprint, but most most states. Started in the southeast and then kind of grew from there through buying 
com other companies like ours. That's a really interesting history. Um, I wonder if that family who had that opera house yeah. tried to maybe get some shares back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, Dave, I really appreciated your time. Um, anything else you want to talk about or say or well, do? Tell me, tell me about Fasoni and Partners. When did, when did you guys start the business? We were started in 75. 75. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty long run. It is. It is. You know, I, I can't take credit for all of that, huh. obviously. But, um, you know, certainly hopefully one day I can have that type of longevity. <laughs> you know, what, what keeps you going? I mean, I, I know what keeps me going. I'm pretty sure it's the same thing. It's an internal... It's an internal drive that I wish I could explain. You know, there's an intangible in there that I can't really put words to yeah. um, that moves me. You got the same thing going for you? or? Well, I guess. I mean, it's, it still is a rush to get a, con a, a customer to say, yeah, I'll buy. I mean, that's... That'll never get old. Yeah, yeah. I, I just was reminded, uh, was your company, was your family... Did you grow up in Kansas City, Kansas, or was there? Did you have? I did not. Um, I grew up in Parkville, Missouri. There was, there are and were Fasonis in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, that were um, pr pretty prominent. My cousin Gus Fasoni owned Sandstone Amphitheater, okay. and then I obviously it sold. I want to say he rebought it at some point. Um, he passed away. Um, gosh, I'm going to butcher this, and everyone can hear it. Two or three years ago. Mm. Um, well, I remember when we bought the, the comp bought the South Advertising Company here in Kansas City, and I moved to Kansas City here in 1982, And I was making, making, paying checks, writing checks to all of our landowners. And we had a couple signs, small signs, on Fasoni's land at around Central Avenue and 7th Street over in there somewhere. And I would write checks to the Fasoni family. What year was this? Well, in the well, in the seventies. Do you know the name of the company? Well, I think it was to some people. I mean, Mr. and Mrs. Fasoni. I got that. I always thought it was part of your family, and I, I don't know if I ever talked to your dad about that or not. It, well, um, my grandfather owned an envelope company here in the city. Um, uh, that was pretty major, um, and I think it was down in that area. But I don't know. Hmm. I don't know that answer. I wish I did. Hmm. If you guys want to send me some checks. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but no, I mean, Fasoni has appreciated our partnership with you know with you guys forever, and especially you. You've been um, working with our agency um, as you've if we as. We have both alluded to through two ownership phases, through dozens of reps. Yeah. Um, you, I think, have one of the biggest impacts in our local ad community than anyone else, or as anyone else. Um, you know, right there with people like my partner, Carol Angotti, um, you know, the greats in our industry. Um, and that's really what this is about, creating a candid space where people in our city, Kansas City and beyond, can listen to people who have 
impacted literally the, the, their world, their city that, that we all live in. You know, you control the messaging, the real estate that people see when they drive by. Um, and it's, uh, it's a place for all these people to hear the voices and the names and the stories behind these signs that we drive by every day. Yeah. So. Well, you, un- you unlock something because I started just, boom. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a lot of stories to tell. I mean, you have a lot more than this, I know. <laughs> well, I-, I was just reminded when you started talking about the long relationship that, that well, uh, my long history of calling on your, your agency. Uh, and you have a media person here that's been around almost as long as me. You're right, I do. And uh, she's a Julie Records. Yes, I yeah, do. Yeah, Julie. So. Yeah, she's one of a kind. Yeah. yeah. You know, and and myself, it's my 22nd ish year in the business. When I started, email wasn't really yeah. too mass use. It didn't have mass usage. We were still doing dubs on beta. Um, or VHS for approval, and audio on DAT for stations, or in some cases, reels. Um, you know, then it evolved into, you know, movie files and WAV files and whatnot that we could email out for approval. So I've seen some adapta- adapta- adaptations too, um, some changes, let me just say it like that, because I can't get the other word out. <laughs> um, so I can't imagine, you know, just the stuff well, that... You know, when I got in the outdoor business... There were no freeways, so everything was on city streets. And all the billboards, or the big ones, were all hand-painted. And we always had That's right. tons of painters, and they would hang up there in the eye. They used to call them wall dogs. That's right. And the posters were put up with paste and long-handled brushes, and it was messy, and you had to buy paste. The only paste they could make was from potatoes that they would import from Holland. The billboard paste came from potatoes from Holland throughout the country. And uh, now, you know, nobody paints anything anymore. No, uh, I forgot all about that. And nothing is posted with glue, very few. Uh, So that's another big change in our... So two industry people, we're going to talk and people don't, you know, if they're not in the ad industry, they may not understand. And there's certain things I don't understand. Tell them, what is a, a billboard for people listening who don't know our industry? Is it paper? Is it cardboard? Is it vinyl? Well, uh, vinyl, everything is vinyl now, other than the digitals. Mm-hmm. So, but there, there's still a few, I mean, you know, holdouts with some old paste and paper somewhere around, but not many of them. But anyway. Is it difficult to hire crews to do that job? You know, that, that's an interesting question because that's become a big category of business now. People buying billboards because they want to hire people. Now hiring. Uh, uh, now we'll pay $26 an hour. I mean, that's... So and we're having the same issue. It, so... It, matter whether you're a truck driver or a bill poster. I mean, I don't know where, why it's been so hard today. But well, I just realized what the error I asked that question in is r- redundant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it is because you have to climb and, you you know, you got to be 40 feet in the air 
and safety is a real big deal with Lamar. I mean, they, you got to be hooked up. You cannot just walk around up there. You have to be always hooked up. And they have safety, you know, cables and safety belts, and you have to hook on. Even when you just climb the ladder, you just can't climb a ladder. You've got to hook every step. You take your thing, hook, and uh, it's a big, big deal. How many people does it take to swap out a vinyl? Two. Just two? You know, there are some guys who can do it on one, but it's... Seriously? Yeah, but they're, you know, well, why? <laughs> <laughs> How long does it take? Hmm, a couple hours, you know, two or three hours, depending on the location. And some are easy to access, others are more difficult. you got to drive across a creek and back in the woods, and, you know, others are, you can pull right up to, you know. So. Do you know when it transitioned from uh, glue and strips... To vinyl, I gotta have to think about that. You know, somewhere in the 90s. early nineties. Yeah, in the it 90s. seems like it may have throughout. It was a slow progression. Yeah, it feels yeah. like. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. Did you guys have the um, board that the Royals player was stolen from off a of thirty-five a few years ago when the Kansas City Royals had yeah. the? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that that was impressive. That was really high. Yeah, that was a. F- <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes I wonder if it was an inside job. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> it seems like it kind of would have to be. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I'm joking, yeah. but I mean that's a that takes a yeah. lot of you know that's a takes a lot of courage. I'll tell you one story. Uh, are, are we done? I, I'm hoping. Oh no, we're recording. We had a, this is back in the 60s, from 65 to 67 or something like that. I, w- I worked here, Nate, I worked here in Kansas City for Nagley Outdoor Advertising Company and then moved away to another city. So I was here for a couple of years back in the 60s. And we had a salesman who was pretty sharp. And he went out to a car dealer one time and he says, why don't we do this? Why don't we put up on, on a billboard, bring this coupon in and get a free car. And it was on a nasty old billboard up on North Oak Street. <laughs> and by golly, that guy, that guy went out and cut down that billboard. But we found out it was an inside job. But they, they had planned it. Oh, as the stunt? The stunt, you know. But no, very few people knew about it. It's, Damn good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, they, they got the wonderful... I wish I would have thought of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. But I always say he... Uh, if somebody tells me, hey, uh, nobody reads billboards, uh, I say, well, okay, let me put up on the billboard, even in small type, free automobiles on Tuesday. <laughs> They'll read that billboard. Yeah. You know? The other thing I like to do is uh, uh, we drive down the road with somebody who's not in the advertising business and he, as a passenger and I'm driving. And um, we drive by a, a, bill, a bulletin. And I say, what was on that billboard back there? And he say, I said, he said, my partner will say, I didn't see any billboard. I said, wait a minute. I pull over to the side of the road and I take a photograph of that billboard. I said, have you ever seen this billboard before? The guy said, oh yeah. I don't know where I saw it. I mean, it's the same thing as, did you watch television last night? Right. And the guy said, yeah. 
Well, what was the ad that was on at 7 o'clock last night? I don't know. I mean, I was watching it. So right. Right but if you show them the ad. But did you see that one with the monkey and the toothbrush? Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah, did. Yeah, well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's your, that's your talent. I mean, you to break through that, you know, and we just try to give you the stage to put it on, you know. So Exactly. Exactly. So, and again, for people listening, a big outdoor board, the ones you see on the highways uh, are 14 by 48, 14 feet high, 48 feet wide. There's other sizes, but that's the general that's standard. Your, that's your, your yeah. standard. And then your poster boards are smaller, and they're generally... 12 what, by the, 25. 20, yeah. Um, and obviously there's other opportunities, other out-of-home opportunities throughout the city. Right. Um, do you guys have stuff inside the streetcars? Are there oper- in, 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 in Lamar is very big in, in the areas of transit advertising, bus advertising, okay. shelter advertising in many markets, but not here. Okay. They're also in a lot of airports uh, with advertising, but they're not here. The other thing that Lamar has, has now if you drive down the freeway and you see the signs right before the exit to tell you there's a Wendy's and a... Yeah, uh, coming attractions, it's, yeah. It's a state-funded deal. Mm-hmm. Lamar's big in that business, too. You bid for the state. You, you, you bid to become the salesperson for the state. And it's a state agency, and the Lamar office is in Jefferson City. And, uh, you know, you have a contract for a couple of years, and, you know... So they're out of home. Really? Yeah. Do you guys, and you guys don't have that one here in Kansas uh, City? Well, we've got for the state of Missouri, but it's it's handled by or, not anybody in our office. I mean, it's a separate division that deals with states and uh, tur- tourist things and all that. So. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Are there other opportunities like that that even an advertiser like myself isn't aware of? Well, you know, <clears throat> we're, again, where Lamar is, you know, touching parts of the city and stuff like that, where yeah. is a, even as an ad agency, I didn't know that was a function. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do you go to have you, do you spend much time going to Europe? Have you ever been in France or England and all that? Kind of I have thing? not. Well, <clears throat> they do an interesting thing over there. Um, they provide really attractive-looking outdoor advertising displays. Not as big as a 14 by 48, but pretty good size. Might be 10 by 20 or something like that. Right on city property. And on one side, they will have a map. Let's say it's in a pedestrian area in Paris. And they show a map of where, where you are now and how to get to the Champs-Élysées and all that kind of stuff. And then the other side will be an attractive display. Um, and the city of Paris earns a lot of money from that because the, the, the company, it's J.C. Doe, D-E-A-U-X is the name of the company, um, but co-ops with the city to provide public service information and with allowing them to uh, use one side for advertising. And it's somewhere down the, right, somewhere down the road, uh, <clears throat> With cities becoming, well, more and more difficult to, to raise the funds to do all the things that cities need to do in terms of 
infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the, the cities probably should get, become a little more interested in that to, mm -hmm. to fund, help them fund, and lower the tax burden on uh, the constituents. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's what we've done with, um, you know, we've given Kansas City Power and Light. We've given other areas, large real estate areas, naming rights. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, Children's Mercy Park. You know. Um, you know, all these underwritings and different sponsorships that, that organizations do. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's interesting. It's interesting. What else, Dave? <laughs> I, I'm running out, man. I'm running out. Uh, it is the end of the day. Yeah. We're close to it, kind of. Yeah. Did you have a busy morning? No, it was a pretty, uh, pretty slow day, really. Um, I'm going to head back to the office and see what what's going on back there. Can't stay away. Yeah, I know. I love I know. it. <laughs> I, I pride myself on being the first one there in the morning and the last one to leave at night, but I don't always make that, you know. Are you still? You know, it's, it's, it's a sad situation, man. It's an obsession. You know, I'm the same way, or I used to be, but I can't beat this guy in over here. Oh. <laughs> I can't beat him in. Right. I got Tim English sitting over here to my right. Sometimes you hear me refer to him. He's our, my produ our producer. But yeah, there's no beating this guy into work. All right, what time do you get here? Uh, 7.30, 8 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah, that's about me. Got nothing better to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> what? <laughs> nothing better to do in the morning. Yeah. All right, Tim's telling lies off a of mic now. <laughs> Dave, have anything else you want to say? No, thank you, Michael. I, this, thank I you for enjoyed, coming by. Enjoyed talking to you, and I, I, uh, I, I'm kind of humbled that you're even interested in what I'm doing. So uh, I, I think, think it's the other way around. Well, I'm you. humbled that you would take this much time to sit down and chat with me. Well, thank you. And I'm honored that we have this now on audio so that everyone else can hear it. Okay. Because people do need to know about you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, chop it. Chop as much as you can. <laughs> All right. Well, let me shake your hand. Let's get okay. out of here. Thanks for listening to the Little Agency That Roars podcast. Be sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on FasoniPartners.com under podcast. Be sure to subscribe, be sure to like, and leave a review. If you want to submit an interview or submit yourself for an interview, please email roar at FasoniPartners.com. That's R-O-A-R -R at FasoniPartners.com. Thanks. Thanks.